system. Hold on. It's oh, the can, whole system. There we go. Now we got sound. Oh, there we go. I thought it was my batteries. I figured it out. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> go ahead and pray, honey. <laughs> All right. Well, Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this service. We thank you for being here with us. Lord, we, we know that you will lead and guide us, and you will give us the words that will that will speak to the hearts and help people to learn about your healing powers and, and learn to walk in your healing through their daily lives. Lord, we just thank you for this day. And yes, thank you, Just Father. lead us and guide us. Yes, Father. Think through our minds, speak through our lips, use our tongue as that of the pen. Use our tongues as that of the pen of the ready writer. In Jesus' mighty name. Well, let's turn to the, se- to the second Kings. Second Kings. Second Kings. We're going to try to get through Kings tonight, but I don't know if we'll make it, but we're going to give it a try. Second uh, Kings, uh, chapter 5. Second Kings 5. And uh, we're going to pick up here. This is a real popular healing. A lot of people... Uh, know about this healing that occurred, um, but we're going to pick up right here in verse 1 and Second uh, Kings chapter 5, and we're going to look at uh, um, Nahum, or Naaman uh, being um, healed. All right. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. So notice this. It says that Naaman uh, was the captain of the host of the king. In other words, he was the captain of the king's army. That's who he was. So this is a man of stature. This is a man that has um, a lot of responsibility. Uh, he was the captain of, um, the king, uh, of the army of Syria is who he was. And it says that he was a great man with his master. Uh, in other words, he he really he had the king's um, he was basically the king's right hand man. And uh, it says that he was honorable, which is really interesting, uh, being the king, king the, over Syria. He says that he was honorable. Or um, the margin of my Bible actually says that he was gracious. In other words, he was a man that, he was a giver. He was gracious uh, because the Lord had given deliverance onto Syria. Listen, the word works for those that work the word. And he was, it says, when it says that he was honorable or he was a giver, guess what? Because uh, <laughs> remember, the, he works for the king of Syria. Syria is not Israel. You have to understand this. Syria is not Israel, so this is not God's chosen nation. But yet Naaman was a great giver. Naaman was not in covenant with God, but yet he was working the spiritual, the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. And because he was a sower, the Lord gave him, uh, had him, um, basically he allowed his armies to win. He, that's really what this is saying here. So here Naaman is. He's not part of the covenant, but he's working a, a spiritual principle, and the Lord's blessing him. You know, and, and a lot of people wonder why the sinners of the world get so blessed. You know, it looks like they've got everything going on. Well, if they're sowers, if they're sowers, I can think of um, 
Keanu Reeves. It's real, it's real publicly known that that man is a giver. I mean, he is a big, big sower. Uh, but I don't believe he's a believer. But how much, you know, God has enriched him all the days of his life. Why? Because he's a giver. He's a sower. See, it's a, see our world is um, based on their spiritual laws that override natural laws. And one of the spiritual laws is if you're a giver, God's going to give to you. It's a spiritual law. And it's the goodness of God that draws a man to repentance, that draws a man into, into fellowship with him. Uh, and so that's what was happening here. And uh, so he, you know, so he's a giver. He's a sower. He's a man of great esteem and great office. Um, and, uh, but then look at this. He was also a mighty man of valor. In other words, he was a man of integrity. He was a man of integrity. That's what it means to be a man of valor. He was a strong man of war, but he was also a man of integrity. That's what it means to be a man of valor. It means to be an upright and righteous man. But again, he's not in covenant with God, which means not everything that he does is right. Because look at this. It says, but he was a leper, which means there was something not right in his life because sickness and disease, the curse had come upon him. Even though he was blessed by God, the curse was upon him. You can be blessed by God and still have to contend with sickness and disease. And you can be in covenant with God. In other words, you could have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or you could be outside of the covenant and God's just showing you his mercy and his goodness because you just happen to be uh, working the word. I'll give you another one that worked the word that it worked for them. Muhammad Ali. You know, he was a Muslim. He didn't, he didn't follow our God, but he got over into the law of you can have what you say. He got into the law of speaking and receiving. What did he say? The whole time he was training, when he was working his footwork, when he was working the bags, when he was boxing in the gym, the whole time over and over and over and over and over again. He said this, he said, I float like a butterfly and I sting like a bee. And anytime I've listened to several boxers that had boxed Muhammad Ali and they have said, they've asked them, of course, you know, of course, the number one question is, well, what's it like to be in the ring with the king? Of course, you know, and they will. And they all say this. They say, well, I tell you what, it is hard to land a hit on Muhammad Ali. He's so quick. He'll be right in front of you. And you'll think, you're, you think, man, your punch is going to land. And at the last second, he seems to just float away like a butterfly. That's what, those, that's what they'll attest. And then they'll say, but here's the deal. When he lands a punch on you, he, they said it feels like not a, he, they'll tell you, it feels like a punch like no other fighter they've ever been up against. They'll say this. They'll say every single punch that he lands hits with a sting. Uh, I mean, it feels like you're being stung by a thousand bees at once. I mean, it just, I mean, his hits land with a sting. And that's what made him the champion is because they weren't accustomed to those hits hitting like that. They hit like no other boxer ever hit. And he moved like no other boxer ever moved. Why? Because he had what he said. 
he had what he said. So you can work these laws um, for your benefit. You can have what you say. Amen. Um, so let's read on here. All right, verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out, of, out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now, I don't know really what this, what this Israelite slave was intending here. I don't know if she was honestly, did she truly have the heart of God and wanted to see Naaman truly healed because Naaman was a good guy? Or was she being a little bit snotty saying, well, if you were over there serving my God, you could go see the prophet and the prophet would heal you. I really don't know what the intent of her heart was, but she made a point. She's, but, she, but here she is. She's in slavery, but she has not forgotten who her God is. Amen. And she said, if your husband, which is my master, would go see my God's prophet, he wouldn't have to be a leper anymore. Because here was the deal about him being a leper. He wasn't allowed in society. So he's, char he's having to keep a great distance from his army. He's having to keep some distance. And so his life is restricted even though he's this wonderful man. And he's got all this power and might and ability. All right, let's keep going. All right. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. Now, his wife didn't go. It was, another, it was another servant in the house. Another servant in the house went and told the Lord, told, told uh, Naaman uh, what, was, what was being said in his house. He was reporting on the day-to-days of the household. Now, that one probably thought, This maid's being snotty. <laughs> I don't know. And the king of Syria said, Go, to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, and six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes, changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Now, I'm, I'm in a mistake. I'm sorry. Let's go back up, back up to verse um, uh, 4. And one went in and told his Lord. One went in and told Naaman's Lord, which was the king of Syria. And it was the king of, it was, it was this servant in the king of Syria. And how much do you know the king of Syria was concerned about his head guy having leprosy? Because this kind of probably doesn't look real good on the king of Syria that his head guy has leprosy. And he also knew how the king loved him. So he, uh, so he went and he told the king. <clears throat> uh, this, this servant said that if Naaman would go see this prophet, uh, he'd get healed. And so the king intervenes on Naaman's behalf. Let's read that again. Uh, picking up in verse five again, or verse 4 again. Oh, okay. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 
10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold. Now, this king is trying to buy Naaman's healing. Do you see this? This king's trying to buy. Uh, they've already defeated some of Israel. Uh, and, but yet now he's like, okay, um, I'll, I'll give you back some riches if you'll heal my servant. He's trying to buy it. You know, we saw this over in um, the book of Acts. Remember, uh, was it Simon or Simeon? That, that saw Peter and them were, uh, operating in the name of Jesus. And he said, uh, if you'll give me uh, this name of Jesus, I'll give you gold. And they said, you don't get it. You don't understand how this thing works. This is not something you can buy. See, they were trying to buy this power. And you can't buy the power of God. God gives his power freely. All right. And 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Wow, ten changes of raiment. He sent him a brand new wardrobe. He sent the king a brand new wardrobe. Oh my goodness, he's putting on the roots here. And he also sent Naaman. Here we go. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send to me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. This king is, this king is like, he's offended, he's upset, he rips his clothes, he's like, I'm, uh, does he think I'm God? Why is the king of Israel upset? Well, first of all, God is not with Israel right now because that's why Syria is whipping them. Uh, second of all, he, this king knows he has no power to heal this leper. And if, and he's, in his mind, he's thinking, if I fail to, to uh, heal this leper, this king is going to come against me. This king, so he's like, this is a setup. This is a setup. And as a minister, I can tell you sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes somebody will come in and, oh, this is the situation and you got to do this. Well, here's the deal. There's no power in me to do anything. There's no power in me to do anything. The power's in God. And if the anointing's there, then great, the anointing will flow. Um, and the anointing is always available but you've got to have somebody willing to pull on the anointing or compassion has to go out of me in order for the anointing to flow. And if I think you're trying to make war with me, it's going to, have, it's going to be real hard for compassion to flow. It's going to, and, and here you are, compassion's not going to flow and faith isn't flowing from you because you think you can buy this thing. Well, I'm just in a mess because now you're going to make war and be offended because I can't get you healed. How much you know the king is distraught over this thing? Come on. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now, now this seems funny because, again, it seems like, it always seems like the prophets have a little bit of a sarcastic side. It just always seems that way. And I don't think that they mean to be sarcastic. It's more like they're just, 
they're kind of like Jesus. They stand in awe, or like Paul, they stand in awe of their unbelief. You know, here, here, um, here he is. Here, here is Elisha, uh, who's had great miracles following them. The king of Israel knows that Elisha is there, that the prophet is there. Everybody knows that God's with Elisha, and Elisha's like, King, why did you get so upset and rent your clothes? Why didn't you just say, I don't have the power to heal you, but maybe the prophet can help you? Why didn't you just send them to the right person? Why didn't you just send them to the right direction? And, um, you know, as Christians, we need to be real careful about not giving people proper answers. If somebody's asking you things about the word, you need to get them the answer. If you don't have the answer, don't just throw your hands up and go, who am I, the preacher, and not answer them. Just look at them very humbly and don't listen. Don't give them a false answer because they'll know a false answer when they hear it. Just be very humble, be very honest, and say, you know, that's a great question, but I don't know the answer, but I'll get you the answer. I'll get you the answer. This thing would have looked a whole lot different if the king would have said, listen, I'm not God. But I know somebody that's anointed of God. I don't know that he can help you, but why don't you go see him and, and, and see what he has to say. And so Elisha was like, why did you not do this, king? Why did you not take them to the place that they can get help? You know, if somebody, it's so funny. I talk, you know, I spend a lot of time with our young people especially. And um, They'll, they'll be talking to me about somebody that comes in their life, and I'll say, well, did you invite them to church where the answer is? And they'll go, oh, Pastor, I didn't think about it. I said, did you offer to lay hands on them and pray over them? Oh, Pastor, I no. I'm like, give them the answer. Come on, y'all got this. Come on, I'll teach you better than this. Come on, how much do you know? Elisha right now is thinking, King, I taught you better than this. And here's why. Here's why Elisha was frustrated. He said, so that he said, let him come now to me that he shall know there is a prophet in Israel. In other words, he said, let Naaman. Now think about who Naaman is. He's the man of valor. He's the king's right-hand man. He's the one that's that's defeating Israel. He said, let him come on down to me so that all of Syria will know that God is still in Israel. He's saying, uh, yeah, go ahead. Let him come. Let him come. Let him come. Let him come. All right, let's keep going. All right. And Elisha sent a men- messenger unto him saying, go. Oh, read verse oh, sorry. I'm sorry. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, and wash in, jo- in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Oh, my goodness. So here comes Naaman, this man of valor, this man of prestige. This man, he, he's this king of the right, he, the right hand, the king's right-hand man. He comes with his horse and with his chariot, and he stands at the door of the Elisha of the prophet. He knocks at the door, and the prophet doesn't even bother to come to the door. The prophet doesn't even bother to come to the door. 
Now, you might shake your head and might think, well, what's wrong with that prophet? Oh, my. Well, how much do you know? People do the same thing to Jesus. They go right to Jesus. They say, oh, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, well, good. I've sent my under-shepherd. Here's your pastor. And they go, no, I don't want the pastor. I want Jesus. I want to confer with you one-on-one. Jesus, I want to deal with you one-on-one. Being a female pastor, I get this frequently. Uh, uh, somebody will call you, call the church office or something, or be out and about, whatever, and they'll say, oh, what church are you with? And I'll say, oh, Disciples House. And they'll say, well, who's your pastor? And I'll say, well, my husband and I pastor the church together. And they go, well, who's your husband? And I'll tell them, you know, he's Michael Williams. And they go, well, where's he at? Well, he's working or he's doing this or he's doing that. Uh, well, I need to talk to him. Well, what do you need? I need the pastor. Well, I am the pastor. No, no, I want him. See why? Because they've got the mindset that they need the man. They need the man. And, and you know, it's been taught for decades that women can't preach and can, women can't be in the pulpit and everything like that. But where, all, but, but where is your thinking? Because there's scripture after scripture after scripture that God's not a respecter of persons. Absolutely. Scripture after scripture of that, when the Bible, and, and they'll bring out those, those things like let a, man, let a woman be silent in the church. I said, dear Lord, he's talking to a husband, he's talking about a husband and a wife, and she was interrupting the church service. The husband wasn't in the pulpit, neither was she when he said, let her be silent. She was interrupting the church. Yeah, she wasn't educated in the things of God. He's not talking about the woman in the pulpit. But see, here, Naaman comes to the door. You know, and, and this is the other thing. We've had people with this situation. You offer them, well, I can lay hands on you and, and you can be healed. Um, you're not a minister. Oh, are you a minister? No, I'm a lay person. Or I'm just, you know, I'm just a Bible-believing Christian. Oh, well, no, that's not going to work. See, people have their preconceived ideas of who God can and cannot use. And Naaman was guilty of this. Naaman said, I'm a man of prestige, therefore I get the prophet, not the prophet's servant. How much you know Jesus is the prophet? In this situation, Elisha is the type and shadow of Jesus Christ. And Christians, the servants of Jesus Christ, are the type and shadow of Christians. His servant is the type and shadow of Christians today. But Naaman wasn't willing to take uh, the servant. But look at what happens. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. This is another thing that people do when it comes to healing. They want, they want you to come out. They want you to come out with the anointing oil. They want you to come out with the staff and the rod. They want you to, hey, now, they want you to do some weird giga hamahika, lay hands on you, make a big to-do about it. Woo, Jesus is in the realm. No, it don't take any of that. He wanted, he wanted a big party. It don't take any of that. It literally takes, it literally takes, be healed in the name of Jesus. I it's literally, that's all it takes. 
But, but here Naaman is, I'm a man of valor. This, he should come and do all these big things. He ain't got to do all those big things. Jesus didn't do all those big things. Jesus literally, that's the one thing that cracks me up about the show, The Chosen. Don't get me wrong. They do a good job for the most part. But every time that Jesus is doing the, the healing things, it cracks me up because the disciples are off nowhere where Jesus is watching and learning. They're over back here in the tented villages where the people are. And Jesus is in some faraway tent healing everybody. And Jesus comes back weak and wimpy and, and wiped out and can't hardly move. No. When the anointing and power of God is on you, man, you're like Superman. You're like, come on, give me a train. Give me a, give me a tall building to leap. Come on. No, that's not how Jesus operated. No, not at all. Uh, but that's what Naaman wanted to see. Naaman wanted, he wanted the honor that he felt he was due, and he didn't get it. All right, verse 12. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Here's another thing that that Christians do, or believers do. Well, God didn't heal me the way I wanted to be healed. I wanted an instant healing, and the instant didn't come, so I guess he's not going to heal me. I wanted the miracle. I, you know, I didn't pray till Sunday, and my doctor's appointment was on Tuesday. Is on Tuesday, so I wanted to. Uh, I want to be able to go to the doctor and not have a bad report when you ain't put no work into your healing at all. Uh, you know, they'll say, well, I'm just, I'm just sitting around waiting on Jesus to heal me, and the healing doesn't come. Why? Because they're expecting God to do everything. They're not doing anything. And, uh, yeah, Jesus is waiting on you. They're expecting, I've even had, I've even had people do this to me. They'll call me or text me and say, Pastor, I just went and had this test done. Now, mind you, they're, they're in the battle for health. They go and they get the test, and then they call and they say, Pastor, I just had this test. Will you pray that my test comes back clear? And I'm like, what do you want God to do? Reach down and cheat on your test for you? I mean, like, that's not how this works, boo-boo. You need to get in faith before you take the test. Before you take the test. How much you know? Naaman said, "I don't want to go dip in that old nasty river. I don't listen. How much you know the blind man that Jesus spat in his eyes? I mean, he's standing there thinking, okay, what's the worst that can happen? And all of a sudden, it hits him in the face. Do you think in that moment that man thought, wow, that felt good? I'm glad Jesus spit on me. I'm thinking he's thinking, I just heard what sounded like the man in front of me just hopped up a loogie and this slime just hit my face and gross. God doesn't always do it the way you want it done. God doesn't always do it the way you want it done. You know, I mean, I'd be thrilled for God just to supernaturally melt the weight and he's more than happy to do it that way in certain situations. But in my situation, the Lord said, uh, you're going to have to start blessing everything that you eat because when I bless it, I'm real good about what I eat. How much you know, I don't bless my donuts. Think about that. God, make this donut nourishing, healthy, and beneficial. I pray that. I'm going to put that donut down. 
I can't, I can't, I can't ask God to do that. That's not right, Pharaoh. And God said, bless everything that you eat. Well, I'm still working on it. Thank you, Lord, because then it restricts what I eat. God said, get up, go exercise. But God, that knee hurts so bad. It hurts to move that knee. And when I exercise it, my leg swells up. Go work the knee. Okay, Lord. You know, how much you know? He didn't always do it the way you want it done. Amen. He does not always do it the way you want it done. He'll do it, but you've got to be obedient to do what he says to do. And that was the problem here. And uh, he said, are not these two rivers in Damascus better than the waters in Israel? He basically said, well, if all I have to do is go dip in a river, why couldn't I do that at home? In the cleaner water. In other words, he's trying to get healed in his own mental understanding. Yep. He's trying to do it his own way. You can't get healed of the Lord and do it your way. Let's keep going. All right. Verse 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. <laughs> then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like into the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, this is interesting. Verse 13, it says, And his servant came near and spake unto him and said, My father. My father. He said, My father. If the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldn't thou have bid... Um, um, wouldn't thou not have done it? Wouldn't thou have not done it? He said... Isn't that interesting that he called this man my father? In other words, he recognized this man's ability, and he recognized that this man had father-like authority over him. But yet, he questioned his thinking. Sometimes we have to help our brothers and sisters. Sometimes us wives have to help our husbands. Sometimes our husbands have to help our, our, our husbands have to help us wives. Sometimes children have to help their parents. Sometimes friends have to help friends and say, you know, they'll say, well, God told me to do da-da-da-da-da, but I just don't think I'm going to do that. Sometimes your friend needs to step up and say, now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. If so-and-so had asked you to do this, if such-and-such had been, if they had said, hey, can you do this, wouldn't you if you had done it? Well, yeah, I would have done it. Well, then what's the difference? What's the difference? So sometimes you need somebody to kind of call you out on this. Yep. And so it says in verse 14, it says, and he went down and dipped himself seven times. So what did this what did this servant do? This servant got him to stop and think about how he was behaving. Yep, he got him he got him uh, he got him dipped seven times in the Jordan. Let's keep reading. Just just we'll finish off this verse. According to the sayings of the man of God, and his flesh came again like onto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. See, he, all that it took for Naaman to get healed was for Naaman to lay down his pride. Listen, all it took for Naaman to get healed was Naaman had to lay down his pride and had to obey God and do what God told him to do, and healing came. Some people are still dealing with sickness today because they will not lay down their pride. They're me, me, me. They won't lay down their pride, and they won't just get in line with God and do what God told them to do. Now, and this is just reference for your notes. Um, 
in Luke chapter 4, verse 24 and verse 27, Jesus said this. He said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is respected in his own country. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Now notice, now we know that Marion, because we studied that, we noticed that Marion, remember Marion, Moses' sister, came down with leprosy. But she was in covenant with God. This Syrian was outside of covenant with God. Uh, and, but yet, Elijah never went to any of the lepers to cleanse them. Why? Because this leper came to him. This one came to him. In order to get healed, you're going to have to get healed. You're gonna ha- you are going to have to come to God. Many people are waiting for God to come to them but you are the one that needs to come to God. You're the one in need. You're the one that needs to come. Um, and uh, Naaman showed us. And, and Naaman, you know, it took Naaman a little bit to get in faith. In fact, it took Naaman being corrected by a servant to get in faith. But, and so here's the deal. Just because you are struggling with faith right out of the gate does not, neglect, does not negate your ability to get healed. It does not. The moment that you get in faith and do what God tells you to do is the moment that you receive your healing. It's the very moment that you receive your healing. Glory to God. Uh, Now we're going to go look at uh, chapter 13. We're going to look at chapter 13. Now here, uh, Elisha is coming to the end of his life. He's coming to the end of his life. Uh, We're going to look at chapter 13, verse 14. And I want you to notice this. Now this is, again, the man of God. He's coming to the end of his life. And it says, now Elisha was fallen sick with his sickness, whereof he died. So Elisha has some type of sickness. We don't know what kind of sickness it is that came upon him. We don't know what caused the sickness to come. Maybe it was old age. We don't know. But the sickness comes, and he dies. And uh, it says, and he died. And there's a whole bunch of crazy names on, uh, uh, through here, so we're not going to read all of that. But it says, and Joash, the king of Israel, came down onto him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof. So there was great weeping when the prophet died. Now, even though Elisha is dead, he's not done healing. He Jump over. Quite dead, but yeah. Well, it says that he died. I mean, he's, he, he, well, it, it says he, he died, um, or he dies. Uh, Jump over to verse 20. And Elisha died. And they buried him, and the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming of the end of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Oh, my goodness. 
And it came, so here it is, Elisha died. They buried him. And how they bury, of course, how they bury people in this region, because it's a desert region, is they have caves, basically, that they lay their dead in. And so here these people have this man that's died, and there's an army coming. So they just kind of, it says, um, and Elijah died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming of the year. So here the Moabites are just, they're, they're coming to attack. And it came to pass as they were burying a man that, behold, they spied the band of men. So they saw this army of Moabites was coming, and they just cast the man into the sepulcher with, I, with Elisha. So they just took this dead man, and they just kind of chucked him in this sepulcher. Because why? Because the Moabites are coming to kill everybody. So they got to hurry up, get this dead man buried, and get out of there. So they just chucked him in there. There was no faith. There was no expectation of healing. They probably didn't even realize that Elisha was in there, to be honest. They just chucked him in there and uh, into the sepulcher with Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Listen, if you'll just come in contact with the anointing how did he come in contact with those bones and come to life because the anointing is tangible in other words you can touch the anointing in certain situations and elijah had lived with the anointing on him he lived with the anointing on him and therefore when he died and his flesh decayed the anointing was actually soaked and saturated into his bones. Listen, this is why you don't mess with the people of God. Because the presence of God is not just some mystery thing just down on the inside of us. No, it's tangibly on the inside of us. And when that, when that dead man, when he came in contact with that power of God, it brought life back to him. It brought life back to him. So one touch, coming in contact with the anointing one time is enough to cure any ailment in you. You've just got to get in contact with that anointing. You've got to get in touch. Remember, uh, Jesus was, remember Jesus was walking with Jairus, trying to get to Jairus' daughter, and the great multitude was there, and they were all touching him? They were all touching him with a touch of curiosity. But the woman with the issue of blood, she reached down, and she didn't even touch Jesus. She didn't even come in contact with his actual skin. All she touched was the hem of his garment. All she touched was his clothes. Why? Because the anointing is transferable. And so the anointing of God transferred from the heavenly throne into Elijah's bones. And it brought a man to life. So one another way to receive the healing is to get in the presence of God. If you'll remember, uh, by the Spirit, I told Brother Richard, I didn't say it, the Lord said it through me. Remember, I told Brother Richard, if he'd get into his prayer closet, and he'd get, and he'd get over into the place of the Spirit where he would meet with God, that he would be complete, that Parkinson's would be completely eradicated from his body? What is that? That's him coming in contact 
with the anointing, with the power of God. And when you come in contact with that power, no sickness can remain. Amen. No sickness can remain. So one way to get healed is just to get in the presence of God and stay there. Glory to God. Well, oh, you already turned my page. Yeah, I did. Let's turn to Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 20. Second Kings chapter 20. And uh, we're going to pick up right here in verse 1. Now, this is the, this is the account of Hezekiah. And uh, Hezekiah, this account of Hezekiah, we see this account in uh, actually one, two, three, four different places in the scriptures. So this is a big deal. This particular healing is a big deal. So we're going to pick up right here in verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 11. All right. Verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Well, yeah, how much, how much you know, this is, not, this is not a good situation. Hezekiah, notice it says in those days, Hezekiah, which Hezekiah was actually a pretty good king. Hezekiah was sick unto death. In other words, whatever sickness he had, he was going to die from it. He was going to die from it. And uh, the prophet Elijah, so notice we went from, we went from um, Elijah to Elisha. Now we're on, uh, on Isaiah, the prophet. So these are the three major prophets of the Bible. And um, Elisha... So the prophet Elisha, the son of Amos, came to him, of course, because the king is dying. So the prophet's going to come. Now, when the prophet comes, that's another one of those you want him to strike the wand and say, hey, says the Lord, you know, you know, do this or do that and do this and do that and all will be well. But that's not what Elisha the prophet said. That is not what the prophet said. The prophet came in and the prophet said, um, this is what the Lord said. Uh, you need to set your house in order, for you are going to die. You're not going to live. You're, you are not going to live. How much you know? That was not the response from the prophet that you wanted. No. How much you know? The job, the job of the prophet is to bring correction. And obviously, there was some, something was happening here. And it said, so let's read on. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember how I have walk, walked, walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. So Hezekiah begins to plead. He knows he's dying, and he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to set his house in order. So what does Hezekiah do? Hezekiah begins to plead his case. He begins to tell the Lord, Lord, don't forget how I've walked right with you. Lord, don't forget how you and I have this relationship. Lord, don't forget me. And then it says, and he wept sore, meaning that obviously Hezekiah had some repenting to do. One way to get healed is to plead your case and repent. Amen. That's one way to get healed. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court 
that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. Okay. So, not only did the prophet come in and the prophet said, get your house in order, you're going to die. But the prophet came in. I mean, come on, this is rough. The prophet walks in and says, uh, get your house in order, you're going to die. And then the prophet turns around and leaves. He, leave, he, he doesn't just leave the room. He leaves the court. He's leaving the palace. He, he's out in the outer court before they catch up to him. Before, and, and, and while he's leaving, Hezekiah is weeping and crying and repenting and boo-hooing and pleading his case. And obviously Hezekiah was compelling because before Isaiah got all the way out of the court, God said, go back and tell Hezekiah all healing. Go back and say, Hezekiah, because you pled your case, because I heard your prayers, because I saw your tears, I'm going to heal thee in three days. I will heal thee on the third day. Thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days 15 years. And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Glory to God. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, This sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? In other words, he let Hezekiah decide what type of sign he wanted. And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backwards, by which it had gone down in the dial of Az. Okay. Go back to verse 7. In verse 7 it says, And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, in other words, make a compress out of figs, and they took, the, they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Obviously he had such a severe boil that it was gonna, the infection had gone to wherever and he was going to die. And uh, the Lord said, Isaiah, um, give him a, a compress of fig to pour out all the poison, and he'll do what? He'll do what? He'll recover. Right. He'll recover. Now, from verse 8 to verse 11, Hezekiah is talking to them about a sign, knowing that you're healed. You have to understand, and people today will read that, and they'll ask the Lord for a sign, and then they won't get a sign, and then they don't think that the Lord's going to heal them. Here's the problem. Here's what you need to understand about these verses. In the Old Testament, they lived by signs and tokens because they did not have the promise and they did not have the Holy Ghost on the inside. They didn't have that knower on the inside confirming what the Lord had said. They didn't know that they knew, and they lived by the flesh. So in their day, they had to live by signs and tokens. So Hezekiah 
because he had heard from the Lord, you're going to die from the prophet. Hezekiah said, uh, I need a little something to help me to know that this fig compress is going to do what it needs to do. Can you give me a sign? But remember, uh, when Jesus came, remember the Pharisees asked for a sign? And Jesus told them, uh, you had the signs of the, of, of the fathers of old, and you didn't believe them. And you have this sign and that sign, and you didn't believe that. So what sign can I give you that you're going to believe? And in other words, Jesus said that basically the times of the signs were leaving. So the reason we read through to 11 is so that you need to understand that you're not going to go by the signs. God's not going to push the clock back by three hours so that you'll know, ooh, the fig compress is going to work. God is not going to send so many people. I mean, people will pray foolish things like, Lord, let a butterfly land on my left shoulder and I'll know that it's you. Yeah, Satan's going to send that butterfly. Uh, no, don't do that. Some people will say, well, Lord, if you'll just send this certain animal-shaped cloud by, the, by me by such and such time, then I'll know that I've heard from heaven. No. Well, Lord, if you'll send me an angel, uh, the devil will oblige you. He'll send you an angel. Lord, just let me hear a voice. Don't ever ask the Lord for you to hear a voice because the devil will oblige you. No, you've got the inner witness that's, and you've got the promise of the word. We live by the promise of the word. If the word says that, that the believer can lay hands on you and you shall recover, then you will recover. Yep. That's want, the end of this. That's the end you, of the you argument. You want a sign? Here's your sign. God said it. That settles it. Now believe it and you'll be yeah. healed. Yeah, that's your sign is the word said it. Here's, here's your sign. It's in the word. That's the sign that we live by. Here's your son. Here's your son. Let's go to Second Chronicles. Now, when I first started reading the Bible, I thought that it went from the judges to the kings to the chronicles. I did not. And when I started reading Chronicles, I was all kinds of confused because I thought, how many kings do you have by these many, by the same names? I was so confused. So what, the, what Chronicles are is the book of Chronicles are, are two books that give you more detailed information about what happened during the time of the kings. And so uh, here in Second Chronicles chapter 32, they're going to give us a little bit more information about what was going on with Hezekiah. So this is Second Chronicles verse, uh, chapter 32. Verse 24. I gotta get to chapter thirty-two first. Right. Well, it's all right. Mm-hmm. I haven't started reading yet. All right. So, Second Chronicles chapter thirty-two, verse twenty-four and twenty-five. All right. Twenty-four. In those days, Hezekiah was sick to the death, and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Okay, so you read a little farther than I meant to, but that's fine. So notice in verse 25, it says, it says that Hezekiah, that the Lord, that he prayed, we saw that, that the Lord healed him. We saw that. Uh, and, and, that and that he prayed and that the Lord had, uh, healed him. 
and then gave him a sign. But what we did not see is what's in verse 25, and it says, Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. In other words... He wasn't grateful. In other words, number one, Hezekiah uh, re did not give God praise and thanksgiving. The other thing that we know, because it says, if we read just a little bit farther, it says, for his heart was lifted up, therefore... There was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Pastor Mike read a little bit farther. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Well, how much you know, God sees the beginning from the end. And God knew that Hezekiah uh, was not going to do what Hezekiah had promised. I know of people that have testified of this. They get some great sickness upon them, and they cry out to the Lord, and they repent, and they say, Oh, Lord, if you'll heal me, I'll be in church every Sunday for the rest of my life. And they go for a month or two or six months or a year, and then they don't ever darken the doors again. Oh, Lord, if you'll, take, if you'll heal me of this great sickness, of this great disease, I'll serve you all the days of my life. And before you know it, they're right back into the same sin they were in before they got sick. Well, that's what Hezekiah did. Obviously, because it, it talked about the pride of his heart, obviously Hezekiah had a pride issue. And when he knew he was going to die, it humbled him. But as soon as God healed him and he knew he had 15 years, he went back, right back to being prideful, and he brought destruction upon Israel because of it. So God, even though God knew that Hezekiah would not stick to his word because God knew the final outcome, God had mercy on Hezekiah and gave Hezekiah a chance to follow through. A chance to follow through, even though God knew the outcome. How much do you know when you're dealing with your brothers and sisters in the Lord, you know, and they've got a bad habit, uh, you know, you know that there's a good chance, especially if you've gone around the mill with them a few times, you know there's a good chance that they're going to fall back again on their same bad habits. But how much you know, you give them mercy and grace and you lift them up and you try to help them get there again so that maybe... The problem, the problem with the difference between us and God is we, we convince ourselves they're going to make it this time. Where God's standing up there on the throne going, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> but he gives them a chance anyways. Gives them a chance anyways. Let's go look at the full account on this in Isaiah uh, chapter 38. You already took me there. Isaiah chapter 38, and there's a lot here that we're going to have to read. Uh, Isaiah. I think we can, yeah. We're going to run a little long today, but it'll be okay. All right. Um, we'll, we'll read through, because uh, this, is, this is the account of Hezekiah from um, Isaiah's point of view. All right, chapter 38, starting in verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. 
And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he hath spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees which has gone down in the sun dial of Oz ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees, by which degrees it was gone down. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. This is what Ju Hezekiah wrote. Now here, now, I mean, as <laughs> Isaiah just, just told us the story again about how the Lord healed him and the Lord took care of him and the Lord handled it. But then this is what Hezekiah writes. After he's recovered, after he was sick and after he was recovered. Or, or during or when he was I sick. Should, I should say during yeah. the time of his recovery. This is what Hezekiah thinks. And how much, you know, when you read this, if you think about when you're sick and you feel like you're dying, you'll recognize how he's thinking. You'll oh, yeah. recognize how he's thinking. This is how he's thinking, even though, how much do you know, the, the, say the flu comes upon you. And, and we know that we've got the word from the Lord that God's going to recover us from the flu. Right? Right. We know that we're going to recover. We have the word. The church has prayed. Hands have been laid on us. Recovery is taking place. But your body is talking to you. And you're laying in the bed, and your body is aching, and your body feels like it's going to overheat, and you're throwing up, and you're just miserable, and you've got all these ailments to carry on. I, you know, because apparently Hezekiah, if he's going to die from a boil, more than likely he's got some type of blood poisoning. He probably don't feel he's real good. He's probably feverish. And, he's probably and, feverish. And, and hallucinating. <laughs> and even though he's got the promise from the Lord, this is what he writes. Crazy. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. So he wrote this down about what happened while he was sick. I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. How much you know you sit there and go, oh, I'm dying, I'm dying. <laughs> I said, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. Mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I have cut off like a weaver my life. He will cut me off with pining sickness. From day even to night wilt thou make an end of me. I reckoned till morning that as a lion, so will he break all my bones. From day even to night wilt thou make an end of me. Like a crane or a swallow, so did I chatter. I did mourn as a dove. My, so obviously he has a bad fever. Mine eyes fail with looking upward. So he can't even look up. <laughs> Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. What shall I say? He hath both spoken unto me, and himself hath done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. 
O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So wilt thou recover me and make me to live? Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. For the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee, as I do this day. The father of the children shall make known thy truth. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. For Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil and he shall recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So even in his sickness, even though he had a promise from God, even though there had been a sign from the Lord, Hezekiah was still saying, Lord, just let me die. Breaking all my bones and sending me to the grave would be better than what I'm going through right now. Lord, I can't even lift my eyes to heaven. Lord, I'm not going to make it. How much? And yet we have what we say, right? Uh, but how much do you know in this time God had mercy to cover the words of his mouth because God knew that he was in so much anguish that there was no faith in, in what he was saying. He was operating completely out of his emotion. And so, uh, you know, when you're in that state, there is room for mercy and grace. Amen. There is room for mercy and grace. I said there were four accounts. There's actually only, there's only just those three accounts. Um, but we have one left in the book of Kings. It's only uh, just a few verses. Go back to Second Chronicles chapter 30. Second Chronicles chapter 30. Um, and this is actually um, going on. Well, let's, we'll just read it. Second Chronicles chapter 30. And uh, verse 13, 2 Chronicles 30, verse 13. All we'll right. pick up right here. And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great congregation. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense took they away, and cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. So they weren't doing things right. No, they were not. They were doing things very wrong. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore, the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers for every one that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. So basically, the Israel is in a hot mess. They're doing stuff that they're not supposed to be doing. Uh, we've been reading and studying about, uh, remember, circumcision. Uh, and that you had to be cleaned and you had to be separated, you had to be circumcised or cut away the things that did not, uh, that kept you 
uh, away from God. Well, here they were, first of all, in verse 13, if you go back to verse 13, and it says, In the assembly at Jerusalem, much people kept the feast of the unleavened bread in the second month and gave great, and, um, a very, a very great, great congregation. And, there, and they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars of the incense took away. Uh, they took away and cast them into the brook of Cordon. In other words, they didn't even have the place to do it. And they were doing the feast of um, the unleavened bread. It says, and they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. Which I believe is the wrong day, but I'm not sure no, about No, it's that. the right day, but, part, but before you... But here's the deal. Before, you're, before you take the lamb, you're supposed to take the lamb into the house for so many days. That's why Jerusalem had to go. Remember, Jesus went into Jerusalem seven days before the, or six days before he was crucified. During the Passover lamb, the, 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 how, the, how the Passover lamb is supposed to be done is they're supposed to go out. They're supposed to pick a lamb without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. They're supposed to pick this perfect lamb, and the lamb is supposed to come and live in the house, and, and the children get acquainted with the lamb, and the family gets acquainted with the lamb, and they're spending all this time with the lamb to make sure that there's nothing wrong with the lamb. But they weren't doing any of this. They were, they were doing the Passover meal, but they were doing it completely wrong. Completely wrong. So they were doing it at the right time, but they were doing it completely wrong. All right. Verse 18. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and of Manasseh, Ishkar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. Yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written? So there was a there was a cleansing ritual that was supposed to take place with the with the Passover. And remember, we also learned that um, if you were not circumcised, you were not allowed to take part in the Passover feast. So anybody that wanted to eat was eating. People that would, did not qualify were eating the Passover meal. They were, just, they were just going through the process. They weren't, and even they were doing the process wrong. They were half-heartedly doing things. But, but Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one that prepareth his heart to seek God. <clears throat> the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So it... So what happens, it doesn't really say where they, where they came, where they got sick, but because they ate of this meal, uh, sickness came on them. Now, God was not punishing them for doing it wrong. What you have to understand is that they, because they were doing it wrong, they were in disobedience to God, they got over on the devil's territory, which opened the door for the devil to bring sickness upon them. Uh, but Hezekiah prayed, and look at what he prayed. He said, he said that uh, it says, uh, it says, but when at the end of verse 18, but Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, the good Lord pardon everyone. He said, Lord, please pardon everyone. He said, please let them go. 
that prepareth his heart to seek God. He said, Lord, if they'll turn and they'll seek you, will you please pardon them? And the Lord God of his, it says, and the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened uh, to Hezekiah and healed the people. Basically, the Levites didn't do what they were supposed to do to make sure that everybody was prepped for the meal. It was the Levites that had it in a mess. Uh, but but uh, Hezekiah understood. Now we understood why Hezekiah knew how to plead his case. Because he had pled the case for the Israelite, for, for these people that were taking part in the Passover meal. He said, Lord, if they'll just if, look at their heart. If they'll cleanse their heart. Don't look at their outside. Look at their heart. Look at their heart. And so a lot of times, you know, and this is where, honestly, this is where people outside of the covenant will get healed. Because they're not living right to the covenant. This is where Christians that don't know how to live according to the word get healed is the heal, God will say, Lord, just look at their heart. Just look at their heart. I know they're messing up. I know they're getting things wrong. I know they're making a mess. But, Lord, look at their heart. Judge their heart. Heal them according to their heart. And the Lord heard that, and the Lord said, okay, okay. See, God's full of mercy and grace. And you can get healed by God's mercy and grace if your heart is right toward him. Amen. If your heart is right toward him. So now we finished off the books of Kings. And so we'll move on through the rest of the, new, uh, new, uh, the Old Testament next week. And, uh, Father, we give you the glory and the honor. If you'll hand me an envelope, I forgot to bring my offering in. We, we got caught up. And uh, I'll give online tonight when I get my phone. Thank you, sir. Glory to God. If you want to pray over tithes and offerings, if you'll serve the people, Zach, just go ahead. Thank you, Lord. Well, Lord, we thank you for this word that we've received. We thank you that that we have learned to uh, not to be prideful and that when your word says, says that that's what it is, that's what it is. So when it says that we're healed, we're healed, and that settles it. We don't have to wait for a sign. We don't have to, we, we, we don't have to have special circumstances. We, we, we don't have to have special uh, privileges. We just have to listen to what your word says and that, that we will be healed. And Lord, we thank you for this, Lord. We thank you that you gave your son that we might not be separated from you. And Lord, we just thank you that, that, that you are the good God, the God that is good all the time. And we thank you, Lord. And we praise your holy name. You are the most high. We thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, we know that um, we're called to give into your kingdom so that your work can be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And because of all that you've done for us, we give with a grateful heart and a joyous heart and a generous heart. And we give unto your kingdom so that your work can be done here on this earth. And we ask that you bless this, this offering, that it go further than we could ever have, ask, hope, or thank towards the doing of your work. And, Lord, we ask that you bless us in return that we can be an even bigger blessing. And, Lord, we just thank you and we praise you. Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, and destroy. You will not take this word. You will not take our health. You will not take our things. You will not take the health of our animals or our friends or our family. We stand against you, Satan, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you that your word is true and your word is working. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen, sir.